Well, hello there. How are we? Welcome back to Here's Looking at You Film, a podcast for the vintage cinephile with modern sensibilities. I'm Nikki, your host, and this episode is a week late. Um, So I recorded this. Um, Originally, I wanted to upload on Valentine's Day, but the week got away from me. So of course, I was going to upload on my regular Wednesday, got ready to upload, and the file would not upload. It would not work. Um, I knew that my only option then was to re-record and I'm going to be honest, I was I was tired. I was so tired. Um, I started a new workout routine uh, last week, and between that and trying to get the file going and the frustration, I just took it on the chin. So here we are this week, a week later, with a fun film full of gags, gut laughs, and another G word. Um, this week, we're finding out who Framed Roger Rabbit? Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a 1988 American live-action animated comedy mystery film uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, uh, produced by Frank Marshall and Robert Watts, and it was adapted from Gary K. Wolfe's 1981 novel, Who Censored Robert, Roger Rabbit? Um, it was a loose adaptation. The ending changed, a lot of the plot changed, and some of the character designs changed as well. Now, Obviously, the name of the film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, is a question, but you may note on any media uh, having to do with the film that there is no question mark in the title, and that's because it's considered bad luck to put a question mark as a punctuation in the title of your film. So you'll note there are a lot of films that are out that are questions, um, but they will not have question marks because it's considered bad luck. Anyway... Before finally agreeing on Who Framed Roger Rabbit as the film's title, some of the working titles were Murder in Toontown, Toons, Dead Toons Don't Pay Bills, The Toontown Trial, Trouble in Toontown, and Eddie Goes to Toontown. Now, um, you guys may know or may not know, but also Steven Spielberg worked on this film. And he came in uh, a bit later and is also the reason that um, we get some of the characters that we actually get in this film. Now, Spielberg's contract included an extensive amount of creative control and a large percentage of the box office profits. Disney ended up keeping all of the merchandising rights to the film. So Spielberg ended up convincing Warner Brothers, Fleischer Studios, King Feature Syndicate, Felix the Cat Productions, Turner Entertainment, and Universal Pictures, uh, which was Walter Land's Productions at the time, or that part of it was Walter Land's Productions. He convinced all of these studios to, quote-unquote, lend their characters to appear in the film with, like, stipulations on how those characters were portrayed sometimes. And we're going to discuss those some of those stipulations later. Now, <clears throat> we are going to get into talking about um, some of the characters in the film really quickly because uh, the characters are pretty important to an animated film. Now, if I wasn't clear, this film is a partially live-action, partially animated film featuring some of our most beloved characters of all time from a bunch of different studios. So we do have some live-action cast and we also have some voice cast. Bob Hoskins plays Eddie Valiant, 
the detective in the film. Christopher Lloyd, um, Doc Brown from Back to the Future, plays Judge Doom. Uh, Stubby K plays Marvin Acme. Joanna Cassidy plays Dolores, the waitress, um, who also is Eddie's girlfriendish person. And Alan Tilburn plays R.K. Maroon. Um, he owns Maroon Cartoons. Um, and he also resembles, um, uh, what is his name? Nixon a little bit. Um, he's got those like chubby kind of cheeks, like the way that Nixon had those like hangy jowls that sort of look like Droopy the dog. Um, <clears throat> has that same face. Okay, so for our animated cast, we have Charles Fleischer as Roger Rabbit, Benny the Cab, Greasy, and Psycho. Those are two of the weasels. Uh, Kathleen Turner plays Jessica Rabbit's voice, even though it's nowhere noted in the credits, but it's widely known. Kathleen Turner played Jessica Rabbit's voice, and she was actually nine months pregnant when she, quote unquote, filmed this film. Um, Amy Irving does Jessica's singing voice, and she's actually the one noted as Jessica Rabbit. Um, uh, Lou Hirsch plays Baby Herman. Um, David Lander is smartass, and Fred Newman is stupid, and June Foray is wheezy. Um, those are the other three, uh, weasels that are in the film, smartass, stupid, and wheezy. Um, and, uh, Mel Blanc, who you may know, um, does the voice of Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Tweety Bird, and Sylvester the Cat. And this was actually the last, one of the final um, productions that he did before he passed in 1989. So this is one of the final times that you'll hear the original voice of some of these iconic characters on screen. Um, Joe Alasky played Yosemite Sam, Wayne Allwine as Mickey Mouse, there are some heavy hitters in this film, right? Now, fun fact, they actually wanted Bill Murray to play Valiant, um, but they couldn't get in touch with him because of, like, how um, inconsistent he was with his, like, roles at the time. Because, you know, he was really doing a lot of films at the time, but he was, like, jumping all over the place. And Bill Murray actually, like, later read about this, where Zemeckis said this, and he screamed because he was like, I definitely would have done this film. Uh, they also had Tim Curry audition for the role of uh, Doom, and he terrified them. And so they were like, yeah, you're a little too scary for this. Uh, they also considered for Valiant Robert Redford, Harrison Ford, Sylvester Stallone, Jack Nicholson, and Ed Harris. They also actually asked Eddie Murphy, but he didn't understand the concept of like a half live action, half animated film. So he turned it down and he later definitely regretted it. So womp womp. Now we are going to go ahead and get into our uh, plot very shortly. But first, um, I have a quick ad from one of my pot friends. Be back soon. Have you ever listened to a podcast about porn? Why not let us be your guides? We do all the dirty work for you. All you have to do is sit back and enjoy. We are the porn connoisseurs. I'm Big C. And as always, you got your boy Jay. You can listen to our show, the Porn Stash Podcast, every other Monday. Listen to us on Spotify, 
Apple, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else. And we're back. So now that we have our players, let's press play. Our Philium begins with our touchstone title card for the production studio and cool jazz. Super cool. Like, think detective film cool. Right? Piano and sax kind of jazz. And on top of this jazz, we get our title card. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Wow. So our cool moment is interrupted by the jarring, whirring sound of an animated feature. You know how um, when Looney Tunes comes on and it goes, well, it does that, but it's um, a different song because, you know, it's not supposed to be Looney Tunes, but it's similar. So it's like, I can't even like do it, but it's like very carnivaly, fun, merry melodies kind of song. But this is a maroon cartoon presented by R.K. Maroon. And this is a Baby Herman and Roger Rabbit cartoon. Baby Herman is a big headed, rosy cheeked, chubby baby with big eyes, like this blonde curl on the top and a bow holding that hair right on the middle. But like, you know, big creepy face, but at the time, like super cute kind of face, if you know what I mean. Like if you saw it now, you probably think it was unsettling. But back in the 70s and 80s, it was like Gerber baby cute, right? And Roger Rabbit is a white rabbit with a red tuft of hair, a polka dot bow tie, yellow gloves, and red suspender jumpsuit. He's basically got a Warner Brother face and a Disney body. And that's actually what they say. They designed him to have a Warner Brother face and a Disney body. Now, this episode of the cartoons called Something Cooking. Baby Herman's mom tells Roger that he'd better keep Herman safe or he'll be sent back to the science lab because Roger can talk. Now, Roger vows to keep Herman safe and blabs on about how good of a job he's going to do when Herman manages to get out, turn on the burners, climb all over the counter. He shuts Roger in the oven on volcano heat and generally just causes havoc, you know, being a baby, but also stays completely safe the whole time while Roger gets completely demolished. Um, you know the style. There's, um, I can't even remember the name of the cartoon, but there was this cartoon uh, that Looney Tunes used to have that was like this baby um, that would always get out. And I think there was a dog that was trying to protect him. It was like a nursing dog and would always try to protect the baby and the baby would get out, would climb all over the city, would climb on like construction beams. And this guy would be chasing this baby around trying to make sure it didn't die or this dog. This is pretty much the same thing, but baby Herman and Roger Rabbit and Roger is getting wrecked. Unfortunately, Roger is being wrecked incorrectly because the director has to cut the scene. Now, baby Herman actually, after they cut the scene, has this deep ass voice and asks, what's wrong with this take? But the director says, Roger keeps messing up his lines. And after getting knocked out, Roger has birds flying around his head, right? You know, but according to the script, he was supposed to see stars. Um, so the animated actors, instead of being drawn, actually exist on an animated set, but they have a live action director. The set itself is animated, but the animated set is on a non-animated lot. And um, these 
animated actors serve as real actors, but behave in an animated way, if that makes sense. Also, Baby Herman is actually a 40-year-old man, and he is always mad about some shit. The doc director calls for lunch because they've done this take 23 times, and Roger, for some reason, can produce everything but stars floating around his head. He can produce bells. He's got a cuckoo clock. He's got the little swirly things. No stars. Roger is pitiful and begging for another chance to get this scene right, but clearly everybody is fed up with him. Meanwhile, there's a shifty-looking kind of guy watching from the side. But this shifty guy is Mr. Eddie Valiant, a private detective. We jump to him after he leaves the set, visiting Mr. Maroon, the producer of this tune picture. They're 25 grand over budget at this point, and um, not because Roger is always a mess like this. His wife, uh, Jessica Rabbit, Roger's wife, has been seen canoodling with another man. And Roger has pretty much been a mess ever since the news hit that, like, there's, like, some tabloids and said something about it. And Roger has been a mess ever since he found out. Mr. Maroon knows that Jessica is bad news, but Roger is so in love with her that he can't see it, right? Maroon needs Valiant to go get some dirt on Jessica so he can help Roger see her for what she really is. Now, Valiant hears about the job, but and he doesn't want to do it because he does not work Toontown. But he decides to do it for 100 bucks. Now, this is supposedly supposed to be the 1940s um, or something akin to the 1940s. So 100 bucks, still good money. Seems like beans to me, but 1940s. So Valiant looks out the window and sees tunes being tunes. There's instruments that have escaped. Dumbo got out because Maroon got him on loan from Disney along with half of the cast of Fantasia. Now, this film does an amazing job fitting characters in a real world setting while allowing them to behave just like cartoons do. Now, as Valiant leaves the office from talking to Maroon, this is a really fun moment. So Maroon mentioned the cast of Fantasia. We get to see one of the ostriches, a frog, and get this. You remember the scene with the brooms and the mops? Like, if you've seen Fantasia, you know the scene with the brooms and the mops. A live-action person is playing that song on the saxophone while a bunch of those animated brooms sweep with real-life brooms. There's a hippo in a tutu. They've got the cows. Um, They've even got a stork that rides by and falls over. It's like an all-star cameo from Fantasia, literally. If you are familiar with it, you'll um, recognize a lot of the characters, and it'll bring you a little bit of nostalgic joy. So Valiant tries to get on the bus after he leaves, but all he has is this $50 check. So he ends up hopping on the back with a couple of kids and rides back to his office. Instead of heading to into the office, though, he turns around and goes to the bar across the way. You see, Valiant seems to be a little too anxious to hit the source at all times. He couldn't even be in Maroon's office without asking to have a drink. At the bar, he finds out that a place called the Red Car across the way has been bought by Cloverfield Industries. And uh, Cloverfield Industries seems to be buying up a lot of places out around town. Now, the Red Car, I guess, is like an, um, is basically the, the trolley service that allows you to get from one place to another on the train. 
Um, now, before Valiant can take a sip of his drink at the bar, he's stopped by the barmaid, Dolores. This is also his boo. She loaned him money from the till, and she needs to get it back by the next day. Now, he has most of it with the $50 that he got, um, but he needs to borrow Dolores' camera to do his job to get the other $50 to get the full $100 so he can pay her back. So you could tell that she is in love with Eddie, but he is a typical hard-boiled detective. He's trying to solve this case. He don't have no time for no dames, but this is still like his boo thing, so he can always depend on her. So a guy comes up and starts taunting Eddie about working for the Maroon Tunes, and Eddie gets pissed and says, I don't work for Tunes, and he bounces. Well, why does he hate Tunes so much? The Tune killed his brother, man. Dropped a piano on his head. Poor guy. So Eddie heads to a back alley and knocks on the door, and he's asked for a password. Walt sent me. You get it? You know, like Walt Disney? Anyway, that's the past. The past phrase. Walt sent me. Anyway, he heads in, opens the door to a lively scene. Now, this is the Ink and Paint Club. This is a club that is a real-life club, live-action club, not an animated club. And human patrons hang out while a slew of animated characters serve and perform. The waiters are penguins because you know, they already have built-in tuxedos. And the performers right now on dueling pianos are Daffy Duck and Donald Duck, which is insane because they're both arguing about having to work with each other because they both have speech impediments and they can't understand each other. So you've got Daffy going, and then, wait, that's Donald. And then Daffy's like, I can't understand you. And it's... Eventually, Donald ends up slamming Daffy into his piano, in like inside the piano, and he keeps playing, and Daffy goes, this means war, you know, like his, you know, with his beak out, and you know, he said the thing. So they continue dueling until one of them finally blows the other one up with a bomb, and apparently everyone explodes with um, laughter and applause because they never get to finish the set. They always end up getting into a fight. Now, this club... Uh, where tunes could only be entertainers or servers may feel a little bit familiar, a little bit segregated, or at least it should, because this was a reference to the segregated clubs of the mid-1900s, uh, uh, the clubs like the, in the 20s and 30s, like the uh, Harlem Cotton Club. They were often clubs situated in predominantly Black neighborhoods where Black people could work and were allowed to perform because they were entertainers, but only white patrons were allowed to come and have a good time. Same feel as that kind of segregation, but like fun segregation because they're animated and penguins. <laughs> so anyway, while Eddie's looking around, uh, this older gentleman turns to him and squirts pen ink all over his shirt and like laughs at him. So of course, Eddie's pissed. But this guy tells him, oh, it's disappearing ink. It's fine. Look, it's gone. This guy is Marvin Acme, the guy who owns Toontown and the gag king. Think Acme from like the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote cartoons. You know, Acme's always sending him all these, all the gags. This is Acme. He's a mess. <clears throat> so Eddie gets his drink, a scotch on the rocks, and they put 
actual rocks in it because obviously they're penguins and they collect pebbles. Um, but he ends up seeing, uh, Eddie ends up seeing an old friend working at the restaurant, Betty Boop. She's been on hard times since cartoons went to color, but she still got it. Boop, boop, be doop. <laughs> I don't know if y'all know, but I love Betty Boop. That's my boo. While they're talking, the club goes nuts in the butts and people start rushing the stage. You probably know what time it is. Jessica Rabbit is about to perform. Well, apparently Valiant thought Jessica Rabbit was a rabbit because, I mean, she's married to Roger Rabbit and he's a rabbit. So he's like, I don't know why people are getting so up in arms about a rabbit. She is not a rabbit, as you may know. Rabbit is only her last name by marriage. She was loosely based on Rita Hayworth, Lauren Bacall, and Veronica Lake. And there was like a couple of other Hollywood starlets that they kind of based her on. But basically, Rita Hayworth, Lauren Bacall, and Veronica Lake. And she's got the smallest waist, this really large chest, these very shapely hips, sky-high red heels, the ultimate male fantasy cartoon style. And Eddie is not exempt. From the moment she pops that one leg out from behind the curtain, he is in awe. And she has got the drop on him. She's singing this sultry song. Why don't you do right like some other men do? And comes by, sits on Eddie's lap. She's singing right into his eyes. She is almost kissing my man. She, he is done for. He was not ready for that. Now, apparently, um, I read that her body the way, moves the way it does and like kind of has this sultry bounce the way that it does because the person who animated her reversed the natural movement of her boobs. So, you know, when you walk, the way you, like if her, if she walked and her boobs were supposed to bounce up, she would animate them down. And if they were supposed to be going down with her movement, he would animate them up. So it made this sort of just like bouncy, voluptuous movement. And that's kind of how she moves so sultry. And it's hard to even emulate Jessica Rabbit's movements because they are animated and not real. So anyway, he goes back after the show to peek in on Jessica in her dressing room while Marvin Acme is visiting her. He gets caught by this the brolic-ass big monkey bouncer that let him in. So now he gets thrown out and he's banned from coming back to the club. As he's about to head out, he realizes he's right outside Jessica's window. So he gets a little peek in. And Marvin and Jessica are playing patty cake. Patty cake, you get me? Marvin's like, patty cake, patty cake. And Jessica's like, oh, Marvin. And the detective got photos of this right so he goes back to maroon's office meets up with maroon and roger and roger is devastated he never thought his wife would patty cake on him but there are pictures of his wife playing patty cake with marvin i need y'all to understand i'm not joking they are sitting across from each other playing patty cake not like and you went like they are playing patty cake. <laughs> so they give Roger a shot to calm him down, and he does not take alcohol well. He turns colors, he gets swirly eyes, 
They bulge out and he literally starts steaming like a high powered tea kettle. He sounds like a train. He is loud and high pressured and steam is coming out of this man. But then he just kind of passes out. So it's fine. So now Valiant's job is done. He gets that other 50 bucks. All good. Roger jumps out the window, but you, you know, Roger's an animated rabbit, so it's okay. Um, but he's crying. He's not okay at all. Meanwhile, Valiant goes back to his office, and when he got all of those pictures um, developed, there were still some pictures that were in the camera from an old vacation that he had taken. The vacation with Dolores, and also his brother was there, Teddy. Now, they seem like they were a dream team, Teddy and Eddie, solving all sorts of cases together. But it seems... As we know, Teddy's gone. Well, of course, uh, Eddie's still distraught over the death, death of his brother. It's part of the reason why he drinks so much. So he gets drunk at his desk and passes out. Next morning, he's awoken by Lieutenant Santino, very loudly. Apparently, Marvin Acme is dead. And they are sure Roger Rabbit did it. Man of Death was a safe dropped on his head. Very tune-like, as you probably could guess. While the cops are looking for clues, Valiant is greeted with a slap to the face by none other than Jessica Rabbit. She knows about the patty cake photos. They've been um, published in the papers and she's pissed. And while they're wheeling the body out of Marvin, they accidentally knock over a box of squeaky shoes. Now, of course, this is Toontown, so the shoes, the animated shoes start squeaking all over the place. There's a bunch of commotion to collect them. Um, meanwhile, a ring falls off the deceased Marvin's hand, and Valiant tries to very sneakily pick it up, but he's stopped by a cane. He looks up to find a very villainous-looking gentleman staring down at him. Very round, steampunk-like glasses, a cape. A black brimmed hat, like if you've ever watched, um, what's that show called? Um, on HBO with the robots. Um, but the man with the black hat, that kind of hat, a brimmed, kind of scary looking guy. Anyway, um, this is Judge Doom. Now, funny enough, John Cleese wanted to play this role. But Spielberg and Zemeckis didn't think people would take someone from Monty Python seriously as a villain, but apparently Doc Brown from Back to the Future is believable as a villain. I mean, I'm not mad at all. I think Christopher uh, Christopher Lloyd did an amazing job, but like John Cleese would have been amazing. So anyway, he loudly asks if Eddie is removing evidence, right? But the lieutenant comes over and assures Doom that Valiant was only picking it up for him. Eddie hands it to him, and it's the buzzer ring, so it buzzes in his hand. Ah, uh, very funny, you know. Well, Doom really wants to know what Roger said when he saw those photos. But Valiant's like, I don't remember. I wasn't really paying attention, child. Anyway, well, no matter. Judge Doom has a team of toons looking out, looking for Roger, some weasels, and the streets are on watch. Meanwhile, there's this 
cute little squeaky shoe at Doom's feet that didn't quite get back in the box when the squeaky shoes got out. Adorable. And he ends up picking up this cute little tune and puts him in what we call the dip. Turpentine, acetone, and benzene. Now, if you guys don't know, this is actually the concoction that you would use to like erase ink to get rid of animation. So like it makes sense that this would be quote unquote the dip. This is the only way to kill a tune. You know, because you can shoot a tune, they can fall from, you know, a thousand stories, they get hit with all banners and stuff, and they don't die. But the dip, the dip will take them out completely. Judge Doom says he's planning to dip Roger as well, because that's how they handle things in Toontown. Now, this isn't in the film, but originally they were supposed to have a funeral scene for Marvin Acme. Um, it would have had, among others, Tom and Jerry, Elmer Fudd, Pepe Le Pew, Superman, Lois Lane, Felix the Cat, Chippendale, Mighty Mouse, Popeye, Olive Oil, Bluto, Cinderella, Alice, the White Rabbit, the Mad Hatter, the March Hare, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, Peter Pan, Wendy, and Casper the Friendly Ghost. And who would have been giving the eulogy? Uh, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say Foghorn Leghorn. Oh, it would have been so perfect. <laughs> anyway, we didn't get that because some of those characters, uh, he they didn't get the rights for the lending of those characters in time, and it just would have been a lot to animate to take a lot of those people, a lot of those characters out. So, unfortunately, we did not get that scene. Well, Valiant goes back to his office and sees this really beautiful woman with legs up to here, if you know what I mean. She's wearing a pair of shorts, um, and she's got a baby carriage standing in front of his door. So he's eyeing her, getting ready to go over and talk, when he sees her light a match and lower it into the carriage. Now, Valiant freaks out and runs over, but she's lighting a cigar for her baby. Baby Herman. That's her boo. He's there to speak with Valiant because he knows for sure that Roger didn't commit this crime. The paper said that Acme didn't leave a will, but baby Herman knows that Marvin said in case anything happened, he would leave Toontown to the tunes. Of course, Valiant thinks that Acme was dumb and a prankster and lying through his teeth, and he ends up sending Herman's stroller flying down the hall, doesn't even want to talk to him. Goes back to his office, anxious to push the blame off of himself because all of this is happening because he, you know, did this investigation. But he's like, you know what? I did my job. That's all I, I care about. But he randomly notices a small detail in a photo printed in the paper. A paper that was sitting in Acme's pocket that says, last will and testament. So he goes and runs and gets his copy of the photo. And sure enough, it's there. That baby was right. But he's not worried about it. He's going to pull out his bed, take a nap, get over it. So he pulls out his little uh, Murphy bed out of the wall and lays down right next to Roger. Yes, Roger has been hiding in his office the whole time. And of course, Valiant tries to kick him out, but he swears he didn't do anything. In fact, that night when he got mad, afterwards he found this random piece of paper and wrote this beautiful love letter to his wife. Roger said he went home to wait for Jessica, but the weasels were at his house, so he ran, and he didn't know where to go. So why did he come to Eddie's office then? Well, everyone knows that when a tune is in trouble, there's only one place to go, valiant and valiant, but not anymore.
Well, Roger is devastated and makes a very dramatic exit knowing that Eddie's not going to help him. And he dramatically slams the door behind himself into the closet. When Valiant goes to retrieve him, Roger pulls up funny and slaps one handcuff on Valiant. So they're attached. He's got the other end on himself. And Valiant doesn't have keys to these handcuffs. And the weasels just showed up, pulled up to come to his office. What the fuck, Roger? So Roger freaks out, as expected. He doesn't want to get dipped. So the weasels end up shooting their way in. They find Valiant washing his clothes with his hands completely submerged in water. Now, the weasels are sure that Roger's in there, but Valiant swears he's not. But every time they turn around for a second, he lets Roger up to breathe very briefly. The weasels turn the place upside down, but they eventually leave. Valiant finally lets Roger up, and Roger gives him a big old kiss for saving him. Now, Valiant has to get out of these cuffs, so he hides Roger in his coat and sneaks him over to the bar across the street. Dolores greets him with, is that a rabbit in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? But, you know, she knows that there's a rabbit in his jacket. She's just being ha-ha funny. We love Dolores. They go in the back, try to saw the cuffs off, and Roger just kind of slips out of them. Because, of course, he's animated. Like, anyway... Valiant is pissed and asks if he could do that the whole time. And he says, nope, I can only do it when it's funny. <laughs> anyway, Valiant has a theory. He thinks that R.K. Uh, RK Maroon, the guy who originally hired him, killed Acme to get his hands on Toontown. So Roger's going to stay in the room behind the bar for a few days while Valiant figures this all out. Back at the office... Jessica stops by. She says that Valiant has her all wrong, and she's a pawn in this, just like Roger. She's not bad. She's just drawn that way. Now, of course, Valiant does not believe her, but damn, she's fine. So he's sweating. He's a mess. And Jessica says that Maroon made her take those patty cake photos and said that if she didn't, Roger would never work in this town again. And she was just helping her boo out because she is desperately in love with Roger. Anyway, she said she would do anything to help him. She gets real close to Valiant and his pants fall down. Just in time for Dolores to pop in. Jessica dips, but not before blowing a big red kiss at Valiant that gets stuck, like a big animated kiss that gets stuck on his face. And Dolores comes over and pulls it off, but she is pissed because she literally caught this man with his pants down. Now, to be fair, his pants accidentally fell because he was he had just taken a shower and was getting dressed when Jessica came in. So it wasn't his fault, but still, he got caught with his pants down and we don't like that. Well, Valiant is almost sure he has this thing wrapped up, but Dolores was actually stopping by with some news. Maroon wasn't putting in a bid for Toontown. Cloverleaf, that company that bought the red car, um, is. And unless Acme's will shows up by midnight, Cloverleaf has it. So as Valiant and Dolores were talking outside, they can hear singing and dancing and music coming from the bar. Of course, Roger got out. He just needs to make people laugh. It's in his, you know, animated DNA. But of course, he's supposed to stay hidden, especially right now. 
And in the middle of all this rambunctious noise he's making, the weasels hear it and they call Judge Doom. He stops by and he is offering $5,000 to anybody who's seen the rabbit. One guy speaks up. He says, I've seen a rabbit. And then he gestures to an empty bar stool next to him and pretends to wrap his arm around a rabbit named Harvey, an invisible rabbit. And the whole bar laughs, right? So Roger's like, yeah, those guys, I just, I just needed to make them laugh. It's okay. But then Doom spots the record on the record player that had been playing. Merry-go-round broke down. A loony kind of tune, you know? Not the kind of song you'd be playing in a downtrodden drunk bar. So he knows Roger's there. He's just got to get him out. So he uses the old shave and haircut trick, you know? And you know, like, you hear that and you have to finish it. So Valiant, he's like, dude, this man is an idiot. Like, what is he doing? But he turns around and sees Roger panic because he wants to tube, he wants to back at him so bad. And Valiant is like, Roger, no, please. And Roger is losing it. And finally, Doom goes, shaving a haircut. And Roger comes busting out the wall. Two bits. <laughs> Silly rabbit. <laughs> so he gets snatched up, of course. And the judge is ready to dip him. Valiant is very smart and asks if Roger can have one last request, a drink, double bourbon. Judge doesn't see an issue because, you know, he's about to dip him anyway. So if you remember what happened when Roger found out about Jessica and Acme earlier with the when they gave him the drink, yeah. But Roger, he's dumb. So he's like, no, I don't want it. Valiant has to basically trick him into, he's like, I don't want it. And he's like, you do want it. I don't want it. You do want it. I don't want it. You don't want it. I do want it. You don't want it. I do want it. What are you talking about? I do want it. He grabs it, slams the drink down, and he goes off like a whistle, just like is expected. And while Roger is loudly, you know, hissing and whistling the bourbon out, Valiant fights off the weasels and pours out the dip saving Roger once again. So they get outside and they try to grab the weasel's truck, but there's no key. Fortunately, the weasels had just made an arrest before they stopped there. They had arrested this tune cab named Benny. So they have a ride. They unlock the bat. Benny hops out. The weasels catch them taking off and chase them. So you have a human driving a tune car and some tunes driving a real life car. Very fun. Well, the tune car gets trapped in an alley by some cops, but luckily it's a tune car. So it just like jacks itself up on stilts pretty much and drives over the car. The cop cars end up running to each other in the alley, as they do. And um, the cab ends up dropping them off at the movies where they're the only ones there. And it's here that we find out what happened to Eddie's brother, Teddy. Eddie tells the story that they've been working a robbery in Toontown where they love to work because they love the laugh, you know. And some guy stole a zillion simoleons, the currency that's in Toontown. They went over to catch him and he dropped a piano on him from 15 stories. Broke Eddie's arm, but took Teddy out. 
And all Eddie remembers is these big red eyes and high-pitched laugh looking down on him. Super creepy. Well, he tells the story and Roger is sobbing. He totally gets why Valiant hates him now. But you know Valiant doesn't really hate him. Duh. Roger starts paying attention to the screen again when Dolores comes in to let him know that she has all his things packed and in the car. He tells her that she should find herself a good man. She says, I already have one. Aww. But they can't get a kiss off because Roger is all in their face. And it's time to go. Before they leave, though, there's this newsreel in the middle of this film that they're watching at the movie theater because they have these little newsreels that would play. But it shows R.K. Maroon making a deal with Cloverleaf Industries. That's the link. Now they got to hit up Maroon. So he tells Maroon that he has the will that he's been looking for. While Valiant is inside with Maroon talking to him, Roger is supposed to be keeping watch. Of course, he gets whacked in the head with a frying pan by his dear wife, Jessica. Damn. So Valiant is up there giving Maroon D-biz-nass, trying to knock this man out, all sorts of... So anyway, Maroon ends up admitting that he wanted to sell his building, but Cloverleaf wouldn't buy it without Acme Studios. They wanted like a, a deal. So Maroon wanted to blackmail Acme to basically get him to sell to Cloverleaf so that he could sell as well. But he didn't want to kill him. As he's confessing, Valiant looks towards the window and sees a lone gun pointed in the window and dodges just in time for Maroon to take the hit. There's a shootout, and Eddie's okay, but Maroon is dead, dead. And Valiant looks out the window just in time to see Jessica running away to her car. He jumps in his car and chases her to a tune tunnel, but she disappears in. He gets ready to shoot, but then he remembers something. He has a gift, a tune gun with tune bullets gifted to him by Yosemite Sam many years ago. And right as he's about to take a drink and head into the tunnel, he pours out the bottle. My guy is finding himself. Yay. So he pops into the tunnel and heads into Toontown. He goes through. There's a dark tunnel with a red light at the end. But the red light is actually just a red curtain. If you think of like Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies, they always have that red curtain in the background. It's got a red curtain. The curtain spreads and he enters Toontown. And it is a goofy ass place. It is bright, sunny. The sun is singing. People are on bikes. The There's flowers everywhere. But like there's like, you know, goofy stuff happening with stuff falling and trains and just goofy Tune stuff. Well, while all this goofy tune stuff is going on, he happens to look up and sees Jessica's silhouette through a window and heads into her building. He takes the elevator up with Droopy the dog, and Droopy is just as dry as ever. <laughs> but he looks through the peephole, sees Jessica in her room. Gotcha. He heads in, and it is a very ugly woman so you know how there there's always that animated trope where women will look really pretty from one angle um but will turn around and be hideous as soon as they turn around that so he runs and ends up falling out of a window and very animated like and on the way down he's literally met by mickey mouse and bugs bunny with parachutes and they offer him a spare a spare tire anyway 
he falls, but of course he's in Toontown, so he's fine. He ends up turning down an alley and he meets Jessica, who calls to him, Valiant. He pulls a gun on her, but she tells him to duck and shoots behind him. It's Judge Doom. He was the one who tried to kill Maru, not Jessica. So they head back out to her car and Roger has gotten out of her trunk. Um, she was just keeping him in the trunk to protect him because he cannot protect himself. They're also being pursued by the weasels, so they gotta go. And luckily, Benny the Cab pulls up to help. And Jessica reveals that Acme ended up giving her the will for safekeeping. But when she opened it, it was just a blank piece of paper, so she just left it. Um, now, on the way out of the tunnel, Doom knocks over some dip solution. So, of course, when Benny the cab drives over it, he's done. So, Doom ends up taking them to the anime factory. But, but I mean, not the anime factory, the Acme factory. But before they leave, you can see that Benny, he's still okay. His wheels are just jacked, right? So, it's sort of like if you walked over um, some acid with your feet. Your feet would be fucked, but you might not be dead. That's pretty much what happened to Benny. Um, so they uh, head up to the Acme factory. They frisk Valiant for the will. He has no luck. And then one of the weasels tries to search Jessica for the will, but she has a bear trap in her bra, a literal booby trap. <laughs> anyway, as long as the will isn't found by midnight, he don't. They, he's trying to find it so he can get rid of it. But as long as it's not found, Doom gets full ownership of Toontown. Meanwhile, Benny's okay. Roger comes peeling out of the tunnel, and Benny gets up very quickly and tells him where Doom took the gang. So Benny obviously cannot ride on his wheels, but he hops in the car with Roger and drives Roger to Acme. Well, um. What does Doom want to do with Toontown, you may ask? He has a vehicle carrying 5,000 gallons of heated dip, ready to wipe Toontown completely out in a matter of minutes. Why are we wiping Toontown out again? Oh, to build a freeway. This is the 1940s, and they're just starting to build infrastructure around the United States. And so Judge Doom has a dream to build a freeway child. Anyway, as he's explaining his master plan, Roger busts through a pipe in the floor, ready to save the day. He has a whole speech ready. He's going in. He's ready. But he ends up getting hit with a ton of bricks. Literally, a ton of bricks falls on his head. Ouch. So um, they tie Jessica and Robert together, Roger together to dip them together, right? But then Valiant gets a good, a good idea. Every time the weasels start laughing, Doom says, you guys are going to end up laughing yourselves to death because they cannot stop laughing. So he decides he's going to make them laugh themselves to death. Valiant puts on quite a show. He turns on some music. He's singing, dancing, slipping, falling, letting things fall on his head, bonking himself with things, literally killing the weasels. The weasels start to laugh until they die. A couple of uh, the weasels, they they die, you know, just merely from laughing, but a couple of them end up getting snatched into machines or things happen to them that kill them. But they literally laugh themselves to death. But they end up turning on the dip machine to spray dip just in time before the last one dies. Jessica and Roger, who are hanging from the ceiling, almost get sprayed, 
but Valiant moves it in time. Doom, who has left, now comes back, and he and Valiant almost have a sword fight. But Valiant picked up a singing sword that sings sort of like uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, and it does not sword fight. Well, anyway, after that gag, Valiant tries to uh, grab Doom's sword with this huge magnet, but the magnet is really strong and ends up trapping Valiant. And it looks like the ends for our friends. But he ends up finding one of those like little funny tune holes. You ever see a cartoon where they'll just draw a black circle and then like walk through it because now it's a hole? Well, they have a bunch of those you can stick on places. So he just stuck one of those black things on something and went through um, so he could get away from the magnet. So Valiant is okay. Well, after all this, Doom ends up getting rolled by a steamroller. But then he gets up. Doom is a tune this whole time, looking like a real person. He's been wearing a wax mask, but he takes that, and once that mask comes off, we can see that he is a tune with red eyes and a very high-pitched voice. So now we know he killed Eddie's brother too. Another fight ensues, and Doom is about to take Valiant out with a handsaw. He literally has a saw coming out of his hand, but Valiant gets smart and knocks the dip out of the machine onto the floor, completely melting Doom. The truck that had the dip in it, it stops working just in time to not spray our heroes who are hanging from the ceiling, Roger and Jessica, but um, it ends up driving, the truck ends up driving itself out of the back of the building, um, out of the back wall, and ends up getting hit by a train, a tune train. And... Now they're saved. So Valiant watches, washes the dip off the floor and all that's good. All the tunes come in through the back to see what the hell happened. And Valiant realizes that there's ink all over his shirt now. Because during the fight, he ended up falling into um, uh, a bunch of boxes that held. You remember that disappearing ink from the day that he met Acne? That he sprayed on his shirt and said, oh, it's disappearing. Well, it had been activated by a reappearing ink serum. Valiant finally realizes what happened to the will. He has um, Roger take out that love note that he says he wrote to his wife and um, put some of that reappearing ink serum on it. And we can see that the will and testament actually does say that Toontown is supposed to now and forever belong to the Toons. Yay! So at the end of our film, uh, we have a gathering with Bugs, Mickey, Minnie, Daffy, Donald, Pinocchio, Goofy, the gang from Fantasia, some of the old, really old film cows and old uh, Yosemite Sam, and uh, it's just a huge gathering of tunes while um, Valiant, Roger, and Jessica walk off into the very pretty tune sunset, and that's all, folks. I, I can't really do a good Porky Pig, but I think you get where I'm going with that. So that is the official end of the film. Yay! So, I mean, honestly, there isn't like a whole lot to say. There isn't a lot of nuance. Uh, most of the fun of the film, uh, there's two things that really make 
this film fun and timeless. The plot is what it is. It's a mystery film. You can kind of figure out what's going on with the plot pretty early on. I mean, they do a good job with concealing the mystery and concealing who's actually doing what, but you can figure out who the villain is pretty early on. Um, you can figure out who's doing what pretty early on. But there are two things that make this film fun and timeless. The first, of course, is the mix of tune and real. So for a film made in 1988, it's magnificent. Every frame of this film that had mixed styles had to be printed as a still photograph. Then the animator would draw the illustration on tracing paper on top of the photo. Then someone would color the illustration. Then that illustration had to be composited back into that frame. And that had to be done for every frame of the film that there was an animated uh, character in. That's wild. I think because like when we think of animation in real settings right now, we probably think of CGI. We think of like the really um, uncanny animation that almost looks real, trying to make characters look as lifelike as possible. And this wasn't trying to do that at, at all, obviously. This was trying to show us our characters the way that we recognize them, the way that, that we love them. And this like really super uh, American animated style in these real life settings, I mean, I mean, it's amazing. It's beautiful how seamlessly they were able to fit these characters in while still allowing them to be their cartoon selves. Um, and this film relied a lot on the comical, exaggerated nature of the cartoon characters to catch us off guard and help us to sort of suspend our disbelief like kids in these real life settings. I think the second thing that makes this film so fun is actually the mixing of studios. I don't, I think maybe Space Jam did it recently, um, where they mixed a, diff, a, a couple of different studios um, and had them featured in this same film. But before then, and even after then, there was never a time where you would see Daffy Duck and Donald Duck on screen together. Porky Pig and Tinkerbell on screen. Um, it it almost feels illegal, right? Donald and Daffy having this dueling piano fight is surreal. Now, earlier I talked about how they had this thing about having their characters be used in a certain way. And um, the Disney Studios and non-Disney Studios had a thing where they wanted each of their major players to have just as much screen time as the other one. Like they didn't want Mickey to be on screen for 20 minutes and Bugs only gets 10. I mean, they're on screen for a very short amount of time, so it wouldn't be that long anyway. But that's why they're on screen in pairs. You you have Donald and Daffy in this uh, piano scene. You have Mickey and Bugs showing up together. Um, at the end, Porky and Tinkerbell show up together. Uh, all of these major characters, wherever you see one major character, you'll see another one. Um, they would have had way more cartoons featured in the film. Uh, one that they were really trying to get was Felix the Cat, but they couldn't get the rights to a lot of the characters in time. So they had to cut them out or superimpose them with other characters from Fantasia or other characters that they did, they did have the rights to. Um, there was even supposed to be a line in the script about how Doom also killed Bambi's mother. So like the crossover was real, real in this film. 
All in all, 326 animators worked on this film. 82,080 frames were drawn and over 1 million singular drawings were done for this film. What a feat. Who Framed Roger Rabbit received near universal acclaim from critics, um, saying that Business Insider said it was one of their best comedy movies of all time. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 97%. Um, there's an average rating of 8.5 out of 10. Um, a lot of places highly, still highly review it, still widely loved, still funny. The gags are still funny, even though they are like really old comedy animated bit humor. They're still funny. If you haven't seen this, I I mean, I highly recommend it. it if you go, I don't know any place where you can watch it for free. Uh, oh, yes, I do. Uh, you can watch it for free on Disney if you have Disney. But if you don't have Disney, um, you can rent it on certain platforms. But I know that if you go on Amazon Prime, um, you can buy it for $5. I think the rental price is $4 and the purchase price is $5. So you can literally buy it for a dollar more than renting it and just have it forever and show it to your kids, show it to your friends and family, show it to everybody because it is really... It's got some, a lot of adult humor in it, but it's got stuff for the kids because of the animation and the gags and the, the funny stuff. So this is really a film for anyone, and I'd recommend you watch it for sure. Well, that is all the time we have for today, and next week... We are, uh, since February is almost over at this point, uh, we're heading into Women's History Month with a good one and with one of my favorite colors, even though the movie itself is kind of sad. But please follow the podcast on whatever platform you use. I would obviously recommend Apple Pods. Um, I have been updating my stuff on YouTube. I've been updating my website as well. Um, you can also listen on Good Pods or other podcasting uh, platforms that are for podcasts only. Um, check out the Halef Pod Instagram. Follow me on Twitter at Film Nikki. And you can always send any collab requests, advice, movie recommendations, or general greetings to Here's Looking Podcast at gmail.com. That's H E R E S L O O K I N P O D C A S T at gmail.com. And once again, uh, back to the uh, the little reel you heard earlier, please make sure you guys uh, get a listen to the Porn Stash podcast. These are great guys. These are some of my, two of my pod bros. And, um, whether you like porn or not, I mean, they're funny. They're funny guys. They're really interesting to listen to. And they can make porn sound like uh, wine, beer. They're connoisseurs, like seriously. So um, I would definitely recommend you give them a listen if you've got a little bit of time. And with that, I thank you for tuning in. And if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Cheers.